Miss Mackintosh, my darling, Chapter Forty Nine, Point Two. Whenever he thought of the death of an individual, he wept for the death of the last passenger pigeon known to Earth, Martha, who expired September fourteenth at one o'clock in the afternoon, just as the clock was tolling one, nineteen eighteen A.D. at the Cincinnati Zoo. Dine peacefully, dine of dine, dine as the leaf falls, dine as the rain gleams in sunlight, dine as the snow clouds gather, and so her passage should scarcely have been noted, but he had noted it in a war-torn world. He had written down this date upon his shirt cuff. All others of her kind had been shot down by great guns, trapped by nets like the fishes of the sea, clubbed, killed simply because they were the many, the beautiful, the excessive, who had made a wilderness of their of this life, and who had stained the heavens with serpentine rose and blue and gold, and who had been like great rivers rushing overhead, like thunderous seas, like mother-of-pearl pavements trembling in the clouds, their wings shadowing all faces. They had made a music like the sea where no sea was. They had swept like a tide over the sunken continent. They were once more they were once more numerous than people in America, and sometimes even now Mr. Spitzer, with his memorial heart, might seem to hear the music of cleavage as the passenger pigeons winged over him in the long night of his sleeping. But he was wrong, and Martha had been the last, and her obituary was written in the timeless clouds like Mr. Spitzer's music. The white of the cloud was her tomb, and the gold of the sunlight, and the rose tips of wings which would gleam no more to eyes gleaming on earth, eyes gleaming through iridescence of fog. Indeed, her death had seemed a doubling like his own, for she had been, so far as anyone knew, the last of the last, the last of all passenger pigeons who had roared like the sea through the clouded heavens, and never again would she be seen where the clouds gathered, and the key had been lost. The great key-maker had thrown away the key, the key of silver, the key of gold. No one knew the key to the starry universe in the milky cloud. No one knew the keyhole. No one knew the door great candle snuffer had snuffed out this flame this the earth was like this earth was also passing as the wheel turned and there were many never returning perhaps only seeming to return was this ever the way it was so that mr spitzer feeling himself doubled by this grief had been the solitary mourner for her as for a lost love having heard that she was still alive though faring poorly like one who knew his widowed heart his heart widowed from himself he had gone to call on her but had arrived too late she was already dead. So Mr. Spitzer had been writing ever since his epitaph for her, had been trying to capture her music. She had departed as upon the wings of evenings after many evenings, many moons of life. She had departed as through the glimmering of a star. She had gone as through a raindrop. She had gone as through a bubble of light. He had come with his white rose gleaming through the rain, but Martha had died before he came. And surely all the stars of heaven must have gone out in requiem for her, and surely many had not returned. They had not returned in the flashings of quicksilver lights or in the darkest days, the darkest nights. Surely he knew best of all, for he had been this watcher of the innumerable stars. She was embalmed and put upon a train to be sent to Washington, the nation's capital claiming her who was more precious when she was dead than millions of passenger pigeons had been when they were alive, and carrying a continent upon their wings. Poor Martha was relegated to the baggage car, only an old night porter riding with her, and he was black as midnight and Mr. Spitzer's dreams of eternal life, which never could be justified, as life itself could not be justified. The old night porter had whispered in the night, had whispered like the rustlings of clouds, like the billowing of leaves, and the long night passing he had whispered, doubtless with pigeon murmurs. Perhaps he had heard the whirrings of his pigeon heart. He was black as the ace of spades, that card of chance which was the world. 
How precious then was life, this fleeting moment, and all things illegal as the dreamer and the dream of this continuing life, as all who are destroyed by politicians and lawyers and the great powers, as dead souls whom Mr. Spitzer remembered when he felt himself emptied of life. Should not man some day be where the last passenger pigeon was? Should not the slayer be the slain? So he mourned for her as for himself, and clouds shining no more on earth, or as he mourned for a stranger he had never known. And it seemed as if this night would never pass. Mr. Spitzer, sitting up all night with his vast purple eyes enlarged by grief, and pressed against a window glass as he stared at the dark and starless sky, the sky without stars even when there were no clouds, had ridden among the sleeping passengers through the empty countryside, noting that all along the way there were no twinkling station lights such as there had been when he came, and the stars were flown, and there were no lights to show where the next station was, or if there might be such a station, perhaps some little way station never noted before, and shining with one feeble light, like a lily shining through the fog. And there were no lights in any town, or perhaps no town, and he had heard no sound but the long hooting of a night train trailing its cloud of purple smoke with flying sparks. And at dawn he had seen no one, not a moving cartwheel, not a person in any town of the gray slate pigeon roofs, and purple roofs, and trembling spires, and shadows of spires, such as those over which the pigeons must have passed, clanging like bells far out at sea. There were more shadows of spires than there had ever been spires. This old pigeon mourner had almost thought that the dawn would never come, dripping as with the great painter's oily colors upon a canvas sky. He had almost thought that he was alone in an empty world. If there were no pigeons, could there be people or pigeon people, or the pigeon-colored dawn, rose and blue and silver and gold mottled like the pigeon's wing, the twilight of this hour which was Mr. Spitzer's dawn? He had lost all sense of the hour. Perhaps it was just as well, for he had waited for hours for a jitney in Washington, and now it occurred to him that he would have done better if he had waited for a jinrickshaw, or a small jockey, or a butterfly. It would have been better if this had been some other capital. Finally, he had hailed an old, high-wheeled, checkered cab, a horseless car, which, like a first cousin to a Surrey, should have been the first of its kind, but was probably the last. Its wheels had buckled, its engine had sputtered, blowing a cloud of steam like a Turkish bath. Its windshield was broken, its headlights were bashed in like an insect's blind eyes. It had reeled from side to side, street to street, as if the driver were drunk or half asleep. Though if half asleep, this did not signify that he was half awake. He had not asked Mr. Spitzer's destination, and Mr. Spitzer had not told him, so secretive was he by nature. And after all, it was before public buildings were open, so they had driven aimlessly, where there was no other traffic streaming, or so little that they had not noticed it. They might have driven through the wings of several archangels. Mr. Spitzer had shaken, rattled, crying all the way until the cab driver had asked, Oh, have you lost your love? Mr. Spitzer, not wishing to arouse suspicion, had answered, I am about to lose her. He had gone around and around the town, several times passing Lincoln's monument, and once, in an absent-minded moment, must have asked, Where's Grant's tomb? Where's Cleopatra's needle? But if so, the cab driver had not heard him. By and by he had got out, only some time after real afterward realizing that he had forgotten to pay his coin. A Roman head, cab driver merely staring at him with a long, glassy stare, had walked through the blurred clouds and the rain passing many lamps. The lights were just going on with flutterings. He had felt that the flag of this nation, and perhaps of all nations, should have been flying at half-mast. For who should ever see a passenger pigeon again pricking through clouds of rose and gold? For her he had shed a pearly tear. He had shed two pearly tears, noting that his tears splashed upward from the sidewalk. 
Surely an ornithologist who looked at him must have known what had occurred, must have sensed his loss. He had lost his feathers. He had lost his bird. His bird had been plucked. He had been nearly knocked down by a Chinese mandarin like a moving pagoda hung with gold and silver bells while crossing a rain-flooded street with a passenger moon. Ah, oh, what muted tinklings he had heard. They were like prisons of a lamp greater than anyone had ever seen. Perhaps he was always where the moon was, always in passage, never in one place, was neither the many nor the one, or was not so much an entity as a light shining upon all or a fitful light sometimes seen, sometimes disappearing through miles of clouds, though his was this darkness gathering fold after fold, like the clouds of a velvety landscape, this darkness lighting not him, though the light streamed from his eye. He passed through banks of fireflies as through darkness and knew not what it was. Perhaps far away he spotted the light of earth, but he was not sure, so he forgave his deviousness. Finally, after much wandering and many false attempts, many knockings of his dead heart, many knockings upon many doors, doors of empty buildings, doors of roofless lofts, doors of tenements from which the inhabitants had moved away, doors of darkened embassies, no doubt, he might even have knocked against the capital dome and lampposts veiled by fog and many darkened chimneys. Perhaps against many surrey tops and many great crinolines sweeping the grass and many great balloons sweeping the clouds, many horses. He had come to the Washington Museum, where he had wished to pay his last respects, leaving his black-bordered calling card as at the grave of a poet, since he had missed his love when he was alive, and he had missed the beauty, the power, the tumult of every present moment, and had urged the old caretaker shuffling in his walks that a mirror be placed before her that she might be eluded, that she might see another pigeon in eternity. Her image mirrored in a gold-rimmed heaven, a bird in a cloud, the light streaming from her breast, that she might not know she was alone, as he was alone. This old caretaker, wearing a gray dressing robe of faded flower patterns and a bell rope tied around his middle, and carpet slippers with pointed toes and a white peaked nightcap, and this surely seemed a strange costume for a man to wear in a museum. But he was sweeping with his bramble broom, sweeping away feathers and sand and shells, doubted that she should be deceived as Mr. Spitzer was deceived. It was his incapacity to be deceived which caused extinction, the old caretaker had announced. Truly, she had lived through many mirages, refractions of light beams, drifting clouds, pools which seemed to disappear, though for a moment gleaming, like shadows of leaves, rooftops drifting on clouds, shadows of clouds upon faces or cloud faces, and should she not recognize them now? As for himself, did he not face the end with perfect equanimity, and had he not sought his refuge in this refuge for wildlife, this place where all had already ended? seldom perhaps never did he see a living man he believed that martha had died without belief in any future life though pigeons favor churches and statues she had surely died without benefit of clergy and without confessing her pigeon peccadilloes her small pigeon sins like drops of silver and gold and rustlings and clouds for there were none no progeny from her not so much as a pigeon cherub she had never sinned her little roomy eye had looked out with amazing clarity upon the clouded void as she had breathed her last breathing so softly that her last breath was not heard, not even by sleepers in their graves or other passenger pigeons. She had known how a star dies. She had known that the starlight lighted not her path. Nothing would there be of her. She had gone back into the great asymmetrical and inarticulate chaos, which left no ride on the moon, none upon the star, her shadow upon no cloud, no stone. Her soul was not so much as a bubble of light. It seemed to this old caretaker who whispered, hissed, spoke through a bubble. Why she was less than her least feather now. Why this old passenger pigeon, though she had died as one passenger pigeon who was all the passenger pigeons who had ever been, and much less and much more, and would not be again, had no soul, the old caretaker said. It was never painted by the great portrait painter. 
surely not worth Mr. Spitzer's tear. It would be better if she had wept for him or for the old caretaker passing now. He doubted that ever again in time and space would there be a passenger pigeon winging over the swinging world, if there still was one dwelling somewhere in a leafy convert hidden from man, one whom man had not seen, one who hid under the clouds, under the snows, or under the leaves. He still was only one, not two, the old caretaker said, for Martha was no more, and Mark was no more. And, well, it took two to make a bargain, and she would never come again in heaven or on earth. Two passenger pigeons would be two more than there were. One there had been, and one was gone, for one was too many in the world. Even one was more than there was now, passing over clouded brooks and meadows of archaic flowers. I doubt not that the flowers sang like birds in those days, the old caretaker said. Dear sir, dear sir, you asked too little, and you asked too much. She is but one, and she was gone at one o'clock or to be precise, a few persons know, it was three minutes after one when she departed, giving up her little ghost three Trinitarian minutes. Father, mother, son, there was none for her on earth. You come too late. You should have come when your grief was premature, come when she was still alive and winging. You should have come when there were so many passenger pigeons that they sounded like church bells tolling over the earth, as if someone pulled the bell rope of the heavens and the earth. She has melted like the snowflake in this burning star. She has melted in the fiery furnace of man's disbelief. A star fell when she fell. The star went out. To find her now, you will have to turn time back, and that is impossible. For so many years forward that you will not be when she is seen, and I doubt that she will be seen by living man. You will be, Mr. Spitzer, but how could this old caretaker have known, have spoken his name, where she is now? Never will you catch up with her, for if not in one way, then in another way you die, and she is gone before you. It could be noted of a dying species that when the great winter of death is set in, and that winter was long, very long, there was no way to revive them, even when they were two. No way to multiply them. The great bellows blower could blow no spark. If they became four, they receded to two again, and when one mate died, one was only one. Or if one gave birth, then think how sad was that last birth, almost as sad as the last death or the last breath. If one gave birth to two, yet both died, or only one survived, these dying species multiplied not like the fishes of the sea and the birds of the air and the sands and the stars. They seemed to know they were the last. They seemed to know that to start when all seemed ended would be a hopeless task. They had tried by many mother-pearl windings, and they had failed, though their failure was egregious like all failures, and they suggested, the old caretaker said, that quality of life which is unique, a solitary episode never to come again, though one should set his decoy and whistle all the way from here to Labrador, whistle from star to star, for they were not easily deceived even by living artifice. Besides, should they wish to come back if they could consciously decide upon their notice of return? Should they wish to come back to that which they knew was extinct? They returned not with one rattle of the dice. Their fate was probably very much tied up with that of earth, these climactic conditions, the burning rocks, the clouds, the pressure of waters. They pass like man through fiery furnaces and waterfalls. I doubt that these passenger pigeons will come again, even upon some other star, not even watery Venus, or stars never seen on earth. What did you expect, the dove of God like that which flew up through Mary's skirts, whispering like foam, the pigeon-colored clouds? But Mr. Spitzer had demurred. Oh, no, 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 no. What good did Mark ever do? Or for all the good he did, for all the pigeons like the many stars, the stars which died with her and died when our star died, what difference now? There is no Mark, and there is no God. Let there be female and female, for female and female created he them, and only the female endures, like the wild sea, the sea upon all shores, and even the shores of the dead. 
Every Martha must have her Mary, like that snow-white pigeon with the red rose breast, who used to come to her through miles of clouds, the cloud streaming light where she was, let there be a mirror shining in the cloud. But he was refused, was threatened with eviction if he persisted. Besides, it was closing time. Did he want to be locked in with the old caretaker or locked out? The old caretaker asked with a rasping sound. He wanted to be locked out naturally and had gone buzzing bumbling through the purple rain with the midnight clouds. He would have presented this indict his indictment to the Senate on account of what America had done to passenger pigeons, once as thick as stars in the clouds, and had done to Indians in their lonely teepees, and yet might do to the whooping crane, and the loop bird trembling from heaven to earth, and the wild flamingo, and the seagull, and the swan, and the groundhog, and the chirping tree toads, and the stars, the chirping stars, would have been put out of, but would have been put out of court, would have been accused of anarchy, of sedition against the state, making a public nuisance of himself of arousing protests of the nameless dead, of giving a voice to all those beauties which never should have been expressed, not even by his passenger pigeon music. His music, like a fountain spilling through a cloud, would have been threatened with the federal pen if he continued as this old pigeon lobbyist and advocate for lost causes and self-elected representative of passenger pigeons, who voted not, and lamented with his true bills and bills of rights, and his whispers and his coos and his rustling clouds, for none would have believed him. This old lawyer with the rose on his coat collar, and the rain on his sleeve, and the pigeon droppings on his hat brim, and his opalescent cheeks, shadowed as with multiple pigeon wings of silver and gold, and his murmurs and his signs and his ivory-headed cane, the pigeons rustling in his throat, the pigeons fluttering in his stomach as he had walked, rustling through the rain with his pigeon walk. No one would have believed in beauty passing like a sky. So he had returned to Boston, the great hub. He had returned at midnight by many roads. Perhaps he had taken a road leading away from the center. Perhaps he was always in the riptide, a place of two tides meeting like music and silence. He heard his distance breathing, <clears throat> as he heard his silent heart beating under a dark wave, a wave rising to the moon. He saw the clouds with light of portholes. His sobbing seemed to come from a greater and greater distance, and might be translated into the sobbing of a wave or a steeple bell tolling the storm, or the whisper of a sail upon the other side of the vanished moon. For all he knew, or at the other end of time, surely never in this place or space occupied by this body, perhaps a bell had tolled at the other end of time, both at the beginning and the end. He heard a bell tolling far inland, far beyond his hearing. Ghostly wings were brushing past his face. He was all but deafened by interior noise, roaring tide, sounds as of waterfalls where none were, cries, sobs, whispers. He was melancholy as a lip-reader, seeking the shadows, where the moon should light no face, for he was tired of reading lips which moved, or only seemed to move as the moonlight moved, only seemed to move like the lips of marble statues shadowed by waters and clouds. And he was like a blind man staggering where the shadows whispered and increased. A stranger whispered in the darkness, Does a blind man blush in the darkness of the everlasting night, and does the night know shame? The night knows boldness, where all are masked as by the night. The night without stars and darkness winds around the face of the moon. Darkness winds around the face of the moon, as a great turban winder winds his clouds. So he who would not rob by day will rob by night. He who knew not his love in the dawn will know his love in the night. Night where all faces are hidden. Night of the dead men returning, or none has ever died. A blind man offered to lead him through a dark city, saying, "This sudden darkness over the city." That through which you grope as one suddenly blind is an advantage to me, for I am the best guide through the night who never knew the light, even the momentary light and the eternal darkness is mine. In a great fog suddenly descending, trust only the blind. He heard the leaves blowing in windy gutters where no leaves had ever blown before, 
voices crying where none had ever cried, whispers where none had whispered, foam breaking as flies specked mirrors, mirrors cracking clouds, clouds breaking over him even the days of calm, for was he not dead? And yet perhaps he had not escaped the tempest when the body was like the spirit blown by storm, for he was not the creator of his dreams, not one who dwelled above the storm. He was the created, and he was spinning. Vertignisly, spinning like a top under the spinning star.